Thank you so much for listening to Pastor Cedric of Commitment Church. Our hope is to inspire, refresh, and encourage you to be lights in a dark world. This week, we continue a series called Rest, It's What Our Body Needs. If you do find this message inspiring or motivational, please follow Pastor Cedric or Commitment Church on Facebook and Instagram. Download our podcasts on Anchor.fm, Pandora, Google Podcasts, and other platforms. Now, here's Pastor Cedric. So as we started this series, I shared with you personally that, um, you know, God wakes you up in the middle of the night or early in the morning. He did that with me and really, I believe, encouraged my heart to say, Cedric, uh, this is one of those messages that you are going to have to be living in while you are preaching it and teaching it. And sure enough, you can rest assured that that there's a... a attacks of the enemy, frustrations, etc., etc., that has come to me in our camp. But yet, just as I've been sharing with you all, is that at the end of the day, we can find rest in who? Christ and Christ alone. Now, as we've uh, been going through this series and learning and growing together, my hope is that you have also have been finding rest in Christ and Christ alone, no matter what you are um, obligated to go through and no matter what has also come against you. Now, remember in this series, uh, we've been defining the word rest based upon Matthew chapter 11, where Jesus talks about, come to me who are all weary and burdened and you will what? You will find rest for your soul. The word rest here, we have two definitions, okay? And just as a quick reminder, the first part of the definition is this. It is to cause or permit one to cease from any movement or labor. So you find this, uh, two key words in there, it is to cause or permit. So here's the, here's the challenging part of all of this. God permits you to rest, but if you don't take the rest, he will cause you to rest, all right? So he wants everyone to pull away with him to rest, but if you don't, you can rest assured something will jump off in your life to slow you down and to make you rest so that you can continue with the definition in order to recover, collect your strength, to refresh, here's here's a difficult one, to keep quiet. We don't do that very well today, right? To keep quiet. God will say to you, you have the permission to keep quiet, turn off the TV, turn off electronics, shut it down, Go be with him, or he will cause you to do what? Keep quiet. It's funny. But here's the challenge. It says, so that there's this calm expectation. In other words, that it is our responsibility to pull away. It is the permission that given by God to pull away from everything, to slow down, to be refreshed, to be rejuvenated, to be quiet so that ultimately we can wait in great expectation that God's going to do what he's promised in our hearts. Amen. But here's our challenge we've learned in this series as well. Many of us, traditionally, we will pull away, we'll vacate, we'll go on cruises, we'll go camping, and we go without Jesus. I got to get away from it all. And then we find ourselves getting away from Jesus. Having so much fun, so engaged in the people around us, so engaged in, you know, all of the hoobla of vacation many times, and find ourselves 
vacating from Jesus himself. So the permission is not given to you and I to get away and get away without Jesus, but Jesus says, come away with me. Follow me. So that's that first definition of uh, being in a place of rest. The second we find uh, in the Greek as well, it is to recreate, but here's the wonderful part about the second definition. It is the inward tranquility while one performs the necessary labor. So what we've been landing on in this series is this. This is where we are going to spend the most of our time um, together. And most of our lives is this necessary inward tranquility while we're doing required work, right? So in other words, you can't just walk into your boss's office and say, hey, guess what? Uh, I want a day off because I need some tranquility. (laughs) <laughs> right? You wouldn't have a job, right? But, but the reality is that you have to go through the grind. You have to show up every day to work, perform at a high level to keep your job. But in the midst of all of it, you can get to a point that you are having this tranquility on the inside. So it's kind of like my wife, Lisa, says when we're on vacation. She, she says this to me. And, and the first time she said it, I didn't catch it. it. took me a little while to catch it. She says, are you sitting down on the inside? In other words, you as a mother, you can't stop being a mother. Matter of fact, you can't even stop being a mother when your children become adults. But you have to be able to have this tranquility, this recreation, if you would, on the inside of who you really are, your soul. Listen, you can't stop providing for your family as a man. You can't stop being a man and the weight that comes along with being a man, right? You can't. You can't. You can't. So don't try to. Stop it. But what we are responsible for is what? Being able to slow down on the inside and connect with Jesus so that you can have this inward tranquility of soul that you are now renewed and refreshed even while performing necessary labor. That's the promise that he gives you and I. And that's, that's what life is mostly made of right there, right? I mean, you get away for vacation once, twice a year if you're lucky, right? But at the end of the day, we have to be able to go and keep going in ministry, in life, in relationship with Jesus, relationships as husband and wife, relationships as a single man and woman trying to live in purity. At the end of the day, the responsibility is still that I must be okay on the inside. Now, we also learn that place on the inside is called the soul, right? And that soul is, is broke up, in, if, if you would. The human person is broken up in what is called a trichotomy, right? Spirit, soul, body. All right. So here we have is that the soul part, the scriptures are, co- are talking about where Jesus says you can find rest in that soul part of you. So what is the soul part of you? That is that immaterial part of man, that animated element of man. In other words, if when someone dies, you see their body in the casket, they are no, no longer animated. Because their soul is no longer with it, with their body. You follow me. That's the place of your senses, your desires, your affections, your appetites and passions. That's the place that causes you and I to get stuck on stupid. We get animated, we get all emotional, we get affectionate and get, you know, all desires. Then we step into sin and do things that are unbecoming of a follower of Jesus Christ. 
right? The soul begins to rise up. It begins to have the appetites, passions, and then we try to pursue other things to fulfill the appetites, passions, affections, other than resting in Jesus. So he's saying to you and I, that place right there where I see and no one else sees until you start acting out, right? You don't know if a husband has something wrong with them in their passions, their emotions, right? That soul part of the him until he starts acting out. You don't know if your wife is upset in her emotions, her desires, and her passions aren't being fulfilled until she does what? She acts out or you come home, she gives you a silent treatment, and you wonder why she mad at you and you know where to be found. Because something on the inside, right, is not being tended to, and then it finds its way on the outside and begins to hurt and affect people around us. So we have to get to a point that we find rest in this inward part, this immaterial part of us, right? Makes sense. All right, now, what we begin to do, or what we have been doing, is answering three questions. The first question is this, is what are the benefits this rest gives to our soul. So we covered that. But then we covered the second question, which was, where do we find this rest or his rest for our soul? So we understand the benefits and then where we can find it. But the dilemma is still, is still how then do I live in this rest? That's the third question. How then do I begin to live in this rest and apply it to my life every single day of my life? And Pastor, Pastor Ken did a wonderful job uh, uh, communicating the first three, which I'll quickly review until we get into the, the last three. So last week, we covered real quickly, uh, if you can, if you want to turn to Matthew chapter 11, verse 25 gave us our first point is that we must become men and women who start living as infants. Why is this important? You see, living as an infant simply says, God, I know nothing, you know everything. It simply says to God, I am completely, wholeheartedly, fully dependent on you and you alone. That you are my source for everything, you are my go-to person, that, that I can't do anything without you. So let me ask you a question. Do you ever hear your children complaining about what's happening on your job? We come home and complain, right? I, I've never seen a two-year-old, three-year-old, four-year-old, five-year-old, six-year-old, 10-year-old say, Daddy, you know, did you have a bad day on your job? They're so busy being a kid. They're totally disconnected from that. Listen, children are concerned. Okay, I'm going to pay my bills. You know, okay, I need to make more money. Okay, I can't believe it. You know, I don't like that person who works on my job who, who's next door to me in my cubicle or who's on Zoom calls nowadays with me, right? I don't, just don't like that. I just don't like that. You don't hear children complaining about trivial stuff like that. Right? You never hear a child complaining about, okay, how are we going to feed the family? Never. You know, what neighborhood are we going to live in? Let me ask you, parents, have you ever heard a child stressing out on what school district they're going to be going in, you know, being educated in? Right? In other words, at the end of the day, the Bible says that we should come to him as what? Little children. We should be able to rest in God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, that he's going to take care of his children. 
So before you can even find rest, you have to be able to have this surrendering of being in control and being God and trying to be daddy, you follow me? To your own soul, to be able to let God be God who governs your soul, who owns everything, that everything is the Lord above the heavens, below the heavens, above the earth and below the earth. Everything belongs to the Lord. Everything is made for him and by him and through him. So why stress? Come to him as a little child. Makes sense. Secondly, we found out in verse 26 is that we must begin to uh, live our lives that is pleasing to God. So what does this look like? You see, here's the deal. Living a life that is pleasing to God is simply saying that I am at rest because I am good with doing everything God commands of me. You see, because without doing what God commands of you, you're not pleasing him. But we must get to a point that we say, you know what, God, even the hard stuff I'm willing to do. I'm not just going to read the Bible and, and read those chapters that only benefits me or, or is maybe there's some kind of direct, you know, uh, uh, benefit or appreciation because it's not telling me thing even, that's tough. You see, pleasing God is simply, I'm going to love my wife even if she doesn't respect me. I'm going to honor my parents even if they are exacerbating me. Kids, what that means is as long as, you know, even if they're getting on my nerves, I'm still going to respect mom and dad. Right? I'm still going to honor authority even if I disagree with the authority. I'm still going to honor them because they are as appointed, but they're as God appointed over me to govern my life. I'm not going to pick and choose, you know, what I want to obey, but I am willing to rest in Jesus, to please him by doing every single thing he wants me to do, no matter how tough and how difficult it is for me to get there. In other words, I like to tell people this. There are times that you just got to do what God tells you to do, even if your heart's not there yet. You see, the beautiful thing about the, a relationship with Jesus is you obey him. He didn't say, you know, if you really want to do it. You do what he says to do. And the awesome thing about a relationship with Christ is eventually your heart catches up with your action. Right? Eventually your heart catches up with your actions. But we are still to obey all that he has commanded us to do. No matter how difficult it is, and even if you want to do it or not, or if the condition says you, you should or you shouldn't, you do what he says to do, and then let your heart catch up to your actions. Please him in everything. Make sense? And then thirdly, we covered that in verse 27, is that uh, living this life in peace and rest in Christ is living a life of faith. In other words, it's kind of saying this. We're, we're at rest to the point that I am willing to let God handle all the affairs of my life. I don't need to put my finger in anything. I don't need to help God out with anything. I don't need to even take vengeance on anyone because what vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Right? I don't need to help God out with anything. Thing at all. Living a life of faith is not living 
a life on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and all these other social media points and saying whatever you want to say, thinking that you're defending the faith, but rather than showing your lack of faith. Because God is big enough to defend himself. Living by faith is simply saying, you're my friend, Jesus. And you're going to stick closer to me than any brother. That I have nothing to worry about, but I'm going to walk arm in arm, heart with heart with you, because I know you got my back. I completely trust you. Amen? Which leads to our fourth. If you can, if you can make sure you're in Matthew chapter 11, let's look at verse 28. We're continuing to answer, how do we live in this rest? Six steps to help you and I live in this rest. Uh, verse 28, again, Matthew chapter 11, it says this, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You hear that? I will give you rest. There's a wonderful promise here. It didn't say maybe. It didn't say possibly that he would do what? He will give you rest, but the responsibility is upon us to do what? Come. Come to him and his promise is what? He will give you rest. So here's our fourth way that we can live in his rest is that we must begin to live in a, in a way that we live burden free. Burden free, you say, well, how is that possible? It's possible. He wouldn't tell us if it wasn't possible. He wouldn't command it of us if he wouldn't empower us to live a life that is what? Burden free. So how do we get there? How do we get there? You see, the word heavy laden means this, to place a burden upon or overload it. Do you realize you can have a burden and a load on your life even when things are going well? Think about this. Let's say you're about to get married, right? You're doing all your planning for your wedding, right? You know what normally happens? You go on overload, you get stressed out, breaking out in hives and all these different things because of a wedding day. That's supposed to be one of your best days of your life. You're stressed out, overloaded, right? Right? Can't sleep. Right, you walk in, you know, you ask God for that new job, right? You finally get that new job. Can't go to sleep. You're all stressed out. Your stomach is all in a knot. Can't eat, right? And et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That it goes along with good. Not to mention you have children. Then they stress you out. <laughs> right? You know, it doesn't always have to be something bad happening to us to be able to be overloaded. You can get a promotion, and now, guess what happens? That now you have 20 people that not only their lives in your, in your hands, their children and their children's lives in your hand. You don't think that would stress you out and overload you? So no matter what the promise is, is that he will allow us to be free from those burdens. Two other key words that we want to be reminded of. The first is the word burden, which means the obligations Christ lays on his followers. So think about this. If, if the Lord tells a man that I want you to love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave his life for her, guess what? That's a burden, especially when she's, she's not acting very lovable. You see, the Bible tells us, dads, do not exasperate your children. In other words, don't upset your children to a point that they start disrespecting you and don't like you as a dad. 
Well, what if they start disrespecting me? You know, that's a huge burden that do I really want to do this or do I want to accomplish it in a different manner? That's a huge burden. You know, so, so there's an obligation and obligations that Christ lays upon us as followers of Jesus Christ. And we cannot get away from those burdens. But you see his promises, though, in this verse? He says, but his, his yoke, his burdens are what? Easy. The word easy means this, super important to understand. It means to be profitable, good for any use, to furnish what is needed. So you're telling me, God, that when I don't feel like loving that person, right, and living with that person in a place of peace, right, so far as it depends on you, live at peace with all men. But God, you don't understand. I don't like that person. But you're commanding me and you're placing this burden on me to do what? Live with that person peaceably, but I don't want to. That's a huge burden on a person to continue to follow Christ and his teachings and his commands. But here's the promise when you connect burden and easy together. It says that if you do what he says and still live with that person in peace, it becomes profitable for you good for any use, and begins to furnish in your life exactly what you need. So use your life right now as a case study. Haven't you ever disliked someone, and then once you got over yourself and you realize James 4 says, what's the source of your quarrels and conflicts among you? Isn't that the source, what, that you wage war on the inside of your members? Once you start realizing, maybe it could be me, not as them, it's amazing how much good starts coming out of what was once a bad relationship. It's amazing when we begin to embrace the obligations of Christ, he begins to furnish us exactly what is needed for righteousness and good deeds as he's promised. You see, but we must get to a point that we understand that our burdens are just too heavy for us to carry. Right? I mean, because we always try to be Superman, Superwoman, and think that I got this, I got this, I got this. I can, I can, I can make this happen. I can work through this. I can figure it out. I can sort it out. But listen to what Psalms 38 verse 3 and 4 says this. There is no soundness in my flesh because of your indignation. There is no health in my bones because of my sins. For my iniquities are gone over my head as a heavy burden. They weigh too much for me. Trying to honor the Lord as a Christ follower is too much for you to handle. And you have to humble yourself and come to that conclusion that, you know, I got for me to live burden free. I have to come to the radical conclusion that this is just too much for me to handle. Remember the story of Joseph? Some of you know Joseph real quickly. What? He was the youngest brother at that time. End up being thrown in a pit, left for dead. Brothers figure, hey, let's. Get him, take him back out, and let's sell him as a slave. What? What kind of brothers are they? 
you have any family issues? Well, this is a good story to kind of read and reread and read and reread and apply to your life. And, and, and the interesting thing about this is that the same God who rescued and relieved the burden of Joseph is the same God through Christ who would do it for you today. Same God. Same God. So let's look at, at how God through Christ even helps us today. Psalm 81 verses 1 through 7a says this, sing for joy to God our strength, shout, shout, shout joyfully to the Lord our uh, God of Jacob, raise a song, strike the tim uh, timbre, uh, the sweet sounding lyre with the harp, blow the trumpet at the new moon, at the full moon on our feast day. For it is a statue for Israel, an ordinance of God of Jacob. He established it for a testimony of Joseph when he went through the land of Egypt. Now, pause there for a minute. Some of you I know even in our church have lived in a foreign land and now you're here. Came here, spoke no English. Most people in America hadn't experienced anything like that. Can you imagine Joseph arriving in Egypt, doesn't speak the language, doesn't know the, the delicacies, doesn't know the food, don't know the favorite restaurant, don't know what a grocery you know, shop, don't know any necessities of being a part of that community. He is plumped in, plopped in the middle of that, having to sort it out. The pressure, the burdens, the weight of how to sort through that and navigate that. Just imagine that. But then it goes further. He says, I heard a language that I did not know. But listen to what God is saying. I relieved his shoulders of the burden. His hands were freed from the basket. You called in trouble and I rescued you. You see, Joseph was sold into slavery. God says, no, even though you may be sold into slavery, I can even remove that burden from you and take the baskets from your shoulders and every burden that comes along with slavery. You see, Christ also provides daily relief from our burden. Psalm 68 verse 19 says this, blessed be the Lord who daily bears our burdens, the God who is our salvation, Salah, pause, rest. He daily removes our burdens. So think about that for a minute, church. If he daily removes our burdens, why am I having daily burdens? Maybe it's this, Psalm 55, 22, challenges us that we must get to a point that we cast and turn all of our burdens over to Christ. It says this, cast your burdens upon the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never allow the righteous to be shaken. So, so we can say, we can say that if we are still carrying burdens, it's not because he's not a burden bearer, it's because we're still choosing to do what? Carry the burdens. We're not turning them over to the burden bearer. You see, and Christ honors this promise, and this is so sweet. Look at uh, Psalm 138, verse 3. He honors this promise of being a burden bearer this way. 
And remember we talked about the soul, the immaterial part of man, that part of the seat and center of your affections, your passions, your emotions, and, all, and so forth, right? Psalm 138 verse 3 says this. It says, on the day I called, you answered me. You made me bold with the strength in my soul. But here's the dilemma. The dilemma is this. On the day I what? Called. If you don't call, if you don't cast, you will carry your burdens to your grave. No matter how small or great it is, it could be, how am I going to pay for my college tuition? Okay, I have these exams. They're all piling up on me. I mean, it can be that. It can be, I, need a, I have a pop quiz. And in a moment, where do you cast your burdens? You have an irate customer who's cursing at you, swearing at you, disrespecting you. Where are you going to cast your burden? No matter how small or great, no matter how past or present or future it may be. Because do you realize some of us are carrying burdens because my dad wasn't there, my mom wasn't there, or I don't know them? Oh, you know, my mom said this, my dad said this. Oh, you know, my grade school teacher said this, my coach said this, and now I'm still living with this. Let it go. Got to quit carrying it. Got to quit. Listen, some of you right now have been forced to grow up and be an adult too soon, and you're still carrying that burden in your life, and it's been 40 years ago. 50 years ago, and you're still living today as a child with the burdens and the obligations that mom and dad said, okay, well, you got to watch little brother or little sister, and you, you lost your playtime with your friends, right? All, all these weird scenarios and real scenarios that somehow find themselves in today and become burdens that we have no reason to be carrying. Call on him, and he'll take him away. Verse 29, it says, again, back in Matthew 11, it says, take my yoke upon you. Number five in how we live our life and rest is this. We must get to a point that we are living in trust in all of his ways. You see, we can't become people who only trust him limitedly or trust him in part. You see, remember the word light in verse 30? He says that he will, his burdens are what? Easy and what light? Easy to bear. His promise is that as you trust me, you come to me, I will make it easier to bear. Right, because here's the reality. It just doesn't go away. Sometimes it will go away and he will cause you to forget even as he, he did with Joseph. One of his son's names, really it, it defines what God has done in a man's heart. He says, the Lord has caused me to forget. God can and will cause you to forget, but what do I do in the wait of forgetting, right? You still got to bear it. You still got to work through it, but his promise is in the wait, in the bearing of it, it will be easy. Amen. 
You see, we're blessed if we trust in Christ. Jeremiah 17, 7 says this, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose trust is the Lord. So you hear that the two parts of the sentence, it says, blessed is the man or woman who what? Trust in, trust in the Lord, that your actions are displaying that you what? Trust in the Lord. Second part of the verse, it says, whose trust is the Lord, you possess his trust. Whose, whose trust is the Lord. In other words, I do not put my trust in any other created thing, but God who created all things. I am trusting in him day by day, but I also have what? I possess trust in the Lord. Amen? Make sense? Trusting in Christ brings joy to our hearts. Psalm 33 verses 20 through 22 says, our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield for our hearts rejoice in him because we trust in his holy name. Let your loving kindness, O Lord, be upon us according to as we hoped in you. So again, the promise that you and I have is that as we trust in him, it brings joy to our hearts. Trusting in Christ also gives us perfection, a, a, a perfect peace, a perfect peace, but also strength. Listen to what it says. Isaiah 26, verse 34, verse 3 and 4, pardon me. Isaiah 26, verse 3 and 4, it says, the steadfast of mind you will keep in perfect peace because he does what? Trust in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for in the God of the Lord, we have an everlasting rock. So you have strength, you have stability that is found in where? In Christ as you do what? Trust in him. And lastly, listen, here's the challenge. The challenge is this, and when it comes to trust, is that do we really, really, really know him will then define how much we what? Trust him. Think about your relationships before I read this last verse in Psalm 9, verse 10. Is that, do you give your keys out to just anybody, to your house? The passcode to your house, if you have a passcode lock, right? You meet a person, you know, for a few weeks, hey, here's the keys to my house. Nah, I doubt that. Right, there's a level of trust that you have in that person, Right? that you say, I, I trust you enough, here's the key to my house, right? And you hope that they don't go into your house and do whatever they want when you're not there, <laughs> right? But, but in other words, that's just an example. In other words, your close friends aren't people that you just meet. Yeah, you may find an affinity towards a person, but a person that is a ride and die friend, right? That you know that has your back, that are there thick and thin, is that person that over time you have seen their character and you've seen their character situationally. Therefore, that trust in that person grows because you know them. Here's the dilemma with Christ. With Christ is, we don't trust him fully. You know why? Because we don't know him fully. If today you don't trust him completely, it's because you don't know him completely. If you trust him situationally, it's because you only know him situationally. You know, are you a person today that maybe you trust him in the things that you can control? Are the things that are like convenient 
Are those things that are like easy to do? Well, you really don't know him like that. And that's why, again, the scripture says in Psalm 910, it says, those who know your name will put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. So if you have a trust issue with God, it's not because God is not trustworthy. It's because you just don't know him. If you're struggling in an area today of trusting God, it's because you don't know him as much as you think you know him. But how do you get to know, get to know a person? Spend time with them. But do you realize to spend time with a person, you have to become available to the person, accessible to the person. But doesn't that sound like the Christian walk? I'm not available to him. I'm not accessible to him. I don't know about you, but he makes himself accessible uh, a lot in, a, in the most peculiar times of the day. You ever wake up and you're staring at the ceiling and you're just trying to go to sleep? Well, it uh, could be that he's trying to make himself available to you. Could be. Or, or what about that time that you in over your head? Do you know what he's trying to do? Make himself available to you. Do you know in that complicated relationship, you know what he's trying to do? Make himself available to you. But how many times do we say, nah, I got this, God. And you know what that does? It, it, if you would, decreases your chances of getting to know him by name. Goes hand in hand. You want to grow in your trust? Give him more access. Our final point is also found in verse 29, Matthew chapter 11. It says, take my yoke upon me and learn from me. Learn from me. Education is good. Being self-taught is good. But he says, learn from me. And when you learn from him, he says, for I am gentle, humble in heart, and you, you would do what? Find rest for your souls. So attached to finding rest is also learning. So we have to become men and women. If we really want to live in his rest, we have to be men and women who are lifelong learners, which is so connected to trust. You don't learn of him. You won't know him. You won't trust him. You won't be burden free. The word learn means this, to understand, to be informed, to learn by use and practice. It means that the, this word is represented by the commanded action as being accomplished in the present. In other words, that I am understanding now, I'm being informed now, I am learning by use and practice now. 
So it's kind of like this. Well, how many chances will he give us to continue to learn? We must become people who first time I learn, first situation I learn. While I'm in it, I am learning right now. I don't need another situation to pop up. I don't need another relationship to blow up. But I am going to learn now in the moment while learning, while class is in, if you could say. I'm going to learn now. So let's go deeper. You see, we, we learn because here's the beautiful thing about it is that God doesn't just let us just ride off in the sunset and don't watch over us. His eye is still upon us trying to teach us. Listen to what Psalm 32 verse 8 says. I will instruct you and teach you in the way which you should go. I will counsel you with my eye on you. Do you hear the personalness of that? The, the intimacy of that is that his eye is on you. And you, and you, and you, and you, and you. You follow me? He is on you as an individual, as a person. He is watching you and instructing you. But the key is, will I learn? We learn also if and when we ask him and also wait on him. Think about that. Two parts of this next verse that I'm going to read, I'll read to you. Am I asking him and am I also waiting on him? Listen to what it says in Psalm 25, verse 4 and 5. It says, make me to know your ways. Oh, Lord, teach me your paths. He's, the psalmist is asking. You hear that? Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you, I will do what? Wait all day. I'm going to stay here in this classroom until you teach me. So I don't know if you were that student that sat in the back of the classroom, you know, all obscure and, you know, or, or you weren't that student that was raising your hand saying, hey, you know, you know, I, I want to, I have a question, I have a question, I have a question, I have a question. You see, the interesting thing about that is that person who's asking the question typically is asking the question for the whole classroom. It's like, okay, did they really ask that? Well, that's what I was thinking. Right? I mean, that person will always raise their hand and ask the question. And you know deep down in your inside, you didn't know how to work that math equation, but they asked it for you. Right? I mean, that's the way, that's the way we are. But we have to get to a, per, a place that we're moving from the black, back of the classroom with God into the first seat, second row, whatever it may be. And we start raising our hands and asking the question, say, teach me. Teach me to know your ways. Teach me to know your heart. That's scary. Because now, now you have the answers to the test. <laughs> right? And now you're required to pass. Teach me to know your ways. You see, because the scriptures give you it out. It says, to him much is given, much is required. To him who knows the right thing to do and does not do it. To him that is sin. So you can go through life and say, well, I didn't know that, God. 
And that's the way we kind of walk. It's like, well, I'm not going to read that portion of scripture, you know, about, you know, relationships because it's going to tell me about premarital sex. It's going to tell me about, you know, how to, you know, be pure before marriage. I'm not going to read that part of scripture. I'm not going to read that part because I know I don't want to hear God and I don't want to learn anything about that right now. You know, don't, don't tell me about stewardship and finances because I just want to do exactly what I want to do with my finances. Don't tell me, God, that I need to be a good steward of my finances. And so we stay away from that person that part of the scriptures, we don't, ask, we don't ask questions about that. Right, but this is what we do. If my, wife, if my husband isn't loving me, you'll find that scripture real quick. <laughs> see, 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 this is the Bible said. This is what God says, right? Right, child is rebelling, right? You sit them down, have a family meeting, have a family devotional now, right? Because now they don't want to listen to you. They're like, see, see, see? Right? I mean, we're just so weird like that. But the reality is, is that we have to ask questions in this classroom, even on the difficult things, things we don't want to hear, things that will provoke us to righteousness and good deeds, the things that will make us more like Jesus. You see, we also... Learn, we also learn and are led to level ground in Psalm 143.10. It says, teach me to do your will for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. It's kind of like that's that place of rest. That there's, it's not mountainous terrain. It's not difficult. Difficulties will lead me to level ground. That's his promise. When you learn and you grow, he leads you to level ground. But here's another challenge in Philippians 4, 9. He also says that we have to learn from others. He says the things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. See, this is where it gets complicated because we're, 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 we're created not to be alone, but we live alone so much. Especially when we know that those around us are trying to live for Christ and you want to kind of keep it on the down low that you don't want to really kind of live for Christ in a certain area. So you pick and choose your friends and the narrative of your life and chances are you just create this, again, this personal narrative of how you walk with Jesus. And you just stay the same. And you forget Proverbs 27, 17 that says iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens another man continence. In other words, who you, become, who you hang around is who you become like. So think about this. You just hanging around yourself, guess who you're going to become like? Voila. <laughs> you just going to be you. No change. And, and you, can even, you can even move that outward. If the only people you are hanging around with are the people at your address, guess who you're going to be looking like and acting like? You have a gospel centered on your family name. But this is the way we do Jesus. And, at, at, and before you know it, stuff blows up, and then you're forced to bring other people in your family business, if you like it or not. The body of Christ is bigger than your address. And the way God helps your address is by allowing other people in your business. People who love Jesus who will tell you what you need to hear 
even when you don't want to hear it and tell you the hard things because they love you. Then lastly, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 through 17, as Pastor Ken alluded to last week, the word of God, the word of God, the word of God teaches us. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man, the woman of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. You cannot be a person who is equipped and not have rest. You follow me? The more you're equipped, the more you please God, the more you trust, the more you live burden-free, the more you are at rest. When you're ill-equipped for life's work, the more burdens come upon you. You want your burdens to be lifted as a man, to be, know how to be a man. Study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman who need not be ashamed, rightly divide the word of truth. You see, living as a lifelong learner simply says this, I'm living at a place of humility, which means I will remain teachable at the foot of the cross of Christ. Why? You see, because if we remain at the foot of the cross, you know what that does? It forces us to look up at him, not at everyone else. You see, when we look at everyone else, all I'm doing is comparing a sinner with a sinner. And chances are, I'm gonna look pretty good when I compare myself with you or you compare yourself with me. But if we're at the foot of the cross and we're humble and we remain teachable at that posture at the foot of the cross, it forces us to keep our eyes on Jesus. And we compare ourselves with Jesus. And you know what that forces us to realize? I need to remain a lifelong learner. That I've not obtained it yet, even the calling in which God has placed upon me. Amen? Let me end with this. There was a, a day that this professional archer uh, was teaching a group of kids how to uh, shoot a bow and arrow. On the second day of training, the, some of the kids arrived to the, the archery range a little earlier. And, and to their surprise, they found the bows uh, and the strings on the bows loosened as opposed to tightened and strengthened. Uh, they began to ask the uh, instructor with great... Uh, you know, inquisitiveness, if you would, they began to say, hey, so why, why are the, the strings so loose on the bows? I mean, why did you loosen them overnight? Well, you see, the, the professional archer says this. He says, I loosened them because if you keep a bow always bent, it would eventually break. He said, but if you let it go slack, it will become more fit for use when you want it. You see, the same is true is when we come to him, all who are heavy and laden and burdened, he will give you rest. It's like loosening the strings to our bow. 
Because if you try to live life so tight, so wound up, you're bound to break. But the beautiful thing about this is that is when you come to Jesus, it's like you are being loosened. When you come to Jesus, you are loosened and you become a man or woman who ultimately becomes more fit for use when he needs you. It's important, church, to come to a place in our lives that we realize, yes, we need to come away with him. We need to escape sometimes, but remember, it is with him. Yes, vacate, but vacate with him. Yes, shut it down, go away, get away from people, but with him. Don't allow him to force you to stop and loosen your bow. Do it because he's permitted you to shut it down and get away with him. But also remember, the beautiful part about our personal relationship with Jesus Christ is this. In the midst of shooting and firing our bow, we still can find rest in him. It's the beautiful part about walking with Jesus is that you can be intensely involved in life, but still on the inside, sitting still. You can be in heated conversations, heated negotiations, frustrating parts of life. You can have all the fiery darts flying, flying at you simultaneously. The world can be caving in and going to hell in a handbasket. But on the inside, as my wife always says to me when we're on vacation, are your insides sitting down? question for you today is this most of the time in your life your bowl has to be ready to be fired but are you still sitting down at rest on the inside if you're not it simply says that you have not come to Jesus let's pray Today, I can't answer the question of what you only know in your hearts. Are you at peace or yet rest in him? Not only talking about today in this moment as we, as we sang a few songs, offloaded our sins through communion and all these different things and sat down, heard a message, and now it's clicking. But no, no, I'm talking about when you leave the building, when you get back into normalcy, or yet rest in your soul. If you're not, it's no better time than now to get it right.
as was mentioned earlier, this rest can only be found in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And today, if you're here, if you're watching, if you do not know Jesus as your Lord and your risen Savior, there's no better time than now. No better time now with your own words. You could say, Jesus, forgive me because I have chosen to live a life apart from you. But I now realize that you, Jesus, you came to die. You were buried. You rose again on that third day just for me. Jesus, please come to my life to live, to rule, to reign, both now and forever as my Lord and my risen Savior. I surrender my life completely to you from this day forward. For those of us who've prayed a similar prayer like that, you still may be heavy and burdened. The cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, the scripture says, can come and choke the word out. It could be pride. But you just think you can live on your own. You can survive on your own. But you can't. Today, maybe you are that person who needs to learn how to just stop. Stop doing stuff and come away with Jesus. Maybe you haven't done that. Maybe this is a good time right now where you are just to ask Christ for forgiveness that you have been so busy doing stuff that you haven't slowed down to be with him, to be refreshed to be rejuvenated, to be restored, to continue on. Maybe you do get away, but you don't come away with Jesus. You go away with your family, friends, you have a good time, and Jesus is nowhere to be found. Maybe this is a good time for you to ask the Lord to forgive you and correct it. And maybe today, lastly, as we've learned that you are just doing life necessarily, which is appropriate, but your insides are not sitting down. It's not resting. Because maybe you're trying to do it in your own strength, be in control of your own life, Lead people like you think they need to be led. Deal with problems the way you think you, you need to deal with the problems rather than coming to Jesus and saying, Jesus, I'm offloading this on you. It's not my problem. This doesn't mean you disconnect and disassociate yourself, but it is simply putting the burden on, which, on where it should be. And that is on his shoulders, not your own. If this has been you, this is a good time right now to say, Jesus, I'm transferring all this weight, all these burdens, all this heaviness, both good and bad, I'm transferring onto you. It is yours, my burdens of my past, my burdens in this present, my burdens that are attached to the unknown future, I place it on your shoulders, Jesus. I loosen my bow.
And as mentioned, the prayer walls are, are for your, if you were there, but the tools. You can even offload them there and say, God, I give this to you. And as the worship team comes and close out with this song, this is a great time to, to do that. If you're at home, great time. You can write it on a piece of paper, burn it, and, and let it go. So if we could all stand to our feet and just let the Lord do his work in you. Thank you for being here, both live and online. Really appreciate it. And look forward to seeing you next week. Thank you again for listening to Pastor Cedric of Commitment Church. If you would like to learn more about Jesus Christ, please visit our website, www.commitmentchurch.org. This website will walk you through having a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Please let us know if you have made a decision to follow Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, or if you would like to support God's Word through this ministry by visiting www.commitmentchurch.org. You can also visit loveallnations.org for more information and to receive encouraging videos. Lastly, if you or your family reside in the South Jersey area, please visit us at 2 Berlin Road South, Lindenwald, New Jersey, 08021. May God bless you and have a wonderful day.